Hello, and welcome to this Soulless Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit soullesschurch.com. Romans 5, reading from the New King James Version, uh, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is the word of God for the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray together real quick. Father, thank you this morning for the gift of your word. We thank you this morning as we enter into this Christmas season and there's so much jarring for our attention What we seek to do in this time, Lord, is to fix our gaze upon you and what you've done for us, to behold you. Not to merely glance, but to give you our undivided attention and to, with that, just say thank you. We we thank you this morning for Jesus, what you've done for us. And we ask you this morning that you would open our eyes a little bit more to behold all um, all that that is, all that you've done. God, I have put in as much time and effort as I can to prepare this sermon in seeking you, but um, our hope now is in you, that you would speak to us, that you would meet us here, that Jesus, you would, you would speak. So we pray these things only in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks for standing with me. So I'm not sure, did you see it in there? But you have all four of those Christmas themes listed there in Romans 5. You have, verse 1, we have peace with God. In verse 2, you have the rejoicing of joy. You have the hope of God. And then at the end of verse 5, you have the love of God. Hope, peace, joy, and love. Well, as we begin this Behold series this morning, we're going to begin with the focus of hope. Behold Hope. So that is uh, every week that'll be the message title, a different thing to behold here. And this morning we are beholding hope. And uh, as we get into this, I want to begin with a question. I would like you this morning as you're waking up to your Sunday and, and we're getting our day started here. I'd like for you to think about this question. What is your greatest hope? What's the thing in your life that you so desire that if you were to attain it, Everything else would sort of fall into place and everything else would make sense. I mean, the central hope of your life. What is your greatest hope? Um, Maybe it's that you want to be something. Maybe it's a hope of being something. For you, it centers on being significant. Or maybe your hope is to be recognized or to be great or to be a good student. Some of you guys, that's your greatest hope right now. I just want to be a good student in school. Or maybe it's to be a good husband, to be a good wife, to be a good father, to be a good mother. Maybe it's to be something. 
to be loved, to be respected. Uh, Maybe your greatest hope is to do something, to to accomplish something, to achieve something, to be recognized for what you did, uh, to be the best fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is that you have set your heart to do. Maybe it's something noble, like you have this great hope in your life. The greatest hope of your life is to make sure that you have invested your life as a parent into your children as much as possible. And you have this great hope. I know I have this great hope that I would do that well. Uh, I, I pray that that it takes precedence in my life over every other goal that I have. Anybody else as a parent want to do that well? Whatever your goal may be. Maybe it's not just to be or to do something. Maybe it's to have something. To, to have a sense of peace, maybe. Peace of mind. Maybe your greatest hope is to have a possession. Maybe there's this neighborhood that if you could just live there, in that house, on that street, with that yard, and those neighbors. I got some of that, okay? Maybe if you had that, you would have your hope fulfilled. Maybe it's a job that you desire to have, or maybe your greatest hope is to have something you've lost. Maybe your greatest hope is to have it back. Maybe you've lost a loved one. I've, I've lost some loved ones in my life, and there's a great hope in my heart to have them back, to see them again. Again, the question, what is your greatest hope? It's good to think about these things, and here's the reason why. Um, despite the variety of our hopes, in this room there's a, there's a big difference of variety of hopes. We, we all are desiring, ultimately, different things. But here's the thing, despite the variety of our hopes that we all have in common, and it's the necessity for hope. We all, at the end of the day, no matter what our hope may be, there is in this world a great variety of hope, but there is also this universal need for the human heart to hope. Every one of us, we all need hope. Just like your lungs need oxygen and your stomach needs food, your heart, or you could say your soul, my soul, your soul needs needs hope. Um, Proverbs describes it this way. Maybe you've seen this verse before. It says it in, in Proverbs th- uh, thirteen twelve. Solomon says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. You see the contrast here between uh, the state of a heart that is hopeless and the state of a heart that is hopeful? When a heart is lacking hope, the fulfillment of hope, hope deferred, hope not met, hopelessness, there's a sickness of heart. On the other hand, a heart that's full of hope and seeing their hopes fulfilled has a great health of heart. Think about this great idea that a hopeful heart is a healthy heart. I mean, you think about times in your life when you have been most unhealthy, or if you have been in some of the darkest areas of your life or places in your life, you could probably connect that state of your heart to the extent of your hope. I don't know about you, I've been pretty low in hopelessness before. I've had my heart pretty sick before. I've had great expectations unmet. And often it's been said that it's the gap between what you expected and what you actually experienced. That gap there, depending on how big the expectation was and how low what you experienced was, that's going to determine the level of your despair and what you're feeling. Now, Jesus knows this. God knows this. And so here in Romans 5, as the Apostle Paul is describing all that God has done for us in Christ, knowing the need that we all have for hope, he tells us that that is one of the main particular things that Christmas is about. 
that Jesus has come to give us. Jesus has come to give us hope. Hope. That's, again, looking here at Romans 5, Paul's opening this door to this treasury, inviting us in. Hey, are you in Christ? You've trusted in Christ. Well, come on into this room that God has, has brought you into and take a look around. Through what God has done in Christ, look around. You have hope, is what Paul is saying. You have incredible, tremendous hope. Uh, But notice this. I think this is important. When we talk about the hope that's found in Jesus, hope that's found in Christmas, God coming into the world to give man hope. Um, It's not just that we have hope through Christ. I love the way that Paul says in 1 Timothy 1. He says that we actually have hope in Christ. In in, in 1 Timothy 1, as he is writing to his young disciple Timothy, he's giving an introduction. And he's saying, you know, I'm writing to you as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he says this. Our hope. Isn't that interesting? Jesus himself embodies the hope that we are all looking for. And that is what Paul is getting at here in Romans 5. The hope that has come with the coming of Jesus. And that's what's awesome. Uh, this, this is kind of like um, the, the consistent experience we have in, in our household. Whenever we have relatives coming over, I'm so excited for, for Christmas season coming up. And it's just such an awesome time for family. to have loved ones come over that haven't been around for a while. I know for my kids, they get so excited when they get to see their uncles and their aunts and their cousins. And, and it's not just because they're coming with themselves, but they, they're coming with great gifts on Christmas Eve. And uh, that really will determine how excited they are to see you. You know, did you bring anything for me, right? And, and not that we treat Jesus like a means to something else. Never. Jesus, let me say this, he is the ultimate treasure that we receive. It's been said, we don't go to Jesus even to get heaven. We go to heaven to get Jesus. See, he is eternal life. To know him, to have him, David said, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth, there's nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are my portion and my strength and forever. To have you and nothing else is to have everything. Yet to have Jesus, listen, is to have everything that he brings. So we can't have Jesus and not have hope, is what Paul would say. Now, that's his focus. As we kind of zero in on what we said here today is beholding hope, I want us to see what exactly we mean by that. We want to look at, uh, or behold rather, is a better word to use, the hope that has come to us through Jesus. But it's important to really break this down because the word hope is a very versatile word. It can mean a lot of different things, even in the Greek and Hebrew language, but certainly the English language. So let's look at this. Let's look at and behold the hope that has come to us through Jesus. The first thing we see about the hope that we have in Jesus is that, number one, it's a hope that's been provided for us. This is the first way for us to think about hope. Hope in this tense as something that has been provided for us. Us, something that we could never provide for ourselves but desperately needed, but through God in Christ has been given to us. He tells us that through Jesus, having peace with God, through our faith in what he's done, he says that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. He says, in other words, you have a reason to sing. In a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll talk about joy and rejoicing. But he says there, there's a reason why the church should get together. And before they sit in their seat and they hear the word of God taught and they do the, you know, the socially awkward two-minute mingle, before we get into that, it's really important that the church comes together and rejoices because there is a reason to. And, and all week long, we might lose sight of that reason. We're so caught up in so many other things of life. And so we come into God's house and we go, wow, uh, Paul tell, says it, or Peter says it this way. Make sure you're ready to give a defense for the reason of the hope that is in you. And so we rejoice because there's hope. 
It's a hope that's been provided for us. Now, um, in the nature of him saying this, I mean, think about it. By, by Paul saying that through Jesus we have received hope, he is also saying at the same time, understand it this way, that without Jesus we did not have hope. In fact, in Ephesians 2, that's what Paul says. He talks about our condition uh, before God entering the world through his son Jesus. He talks about our condition without Jesus. And in Ephesians 2, no, listen to what he says. Ephesians 2.11, Paul's writing to the new Gentile believers. And he says, Therefore remember that you, Ephesians 2.11, once Gentiles in the flesh, that at a time, he says this, you were without Christ. There was a time when you were without Christ. I don't know if we think about that enough. Life without Jesus. I wonder if we thought more about life without Jesus, if we would be much more grateful for life in Jesus. You know what I mean? And Paul's saying, there was a time where you were without Jesus. And he talks about what that was like. He said, you were a foreigner to the commonwealth of Israel. You were a stranger to the promises of God, having no hope and without God in the world. That's the natural condition that we enter into in this world because of sin. Sin has broken our hope. We see the opposite of that, certainly, in the Garden of Eden. We see nothing but hope in God's good world that he created and designed. Before sin came and wreaked havoc on this whole beautiful thing that God created, you have a hopeful future for man. In God's presence, with God's purposes, for God's glory, to enjoy all that he is and all that he's done all right, the, churches, uh, the people of God have always been the same. Even before Jesus died on the cross, that's what God's people were doing in the Garden of Eden, just enjoying who he is and what he's done with great hope. And then as sin enters into the story, as, by the way, sin is putting my hope in something other than God. As that happens, the hope of this tree giving me what I'm really looking for, this experience giving me what I'm really looking for, this reaction justifying me, as that sinful response entered the world, so did darkness. So did brokenness. So did hopelessness. And that's what you have. In fact, that's kind of the theme that you see in Scripture. Often, the condition of man apart from Jesus in, its, in man's hopeless state is, is often correlated to a, a pitch black dark environment. Darkness. Not just darkness like, oh, scariness, like Darth Vader dark sideness. I mean, the idea is often like you, you can't find your way. Do you know what I mean? I was left there uh, just yesterday, yesterday evening, because I procrastinated to put my Christmas lights up uh, in daylight. Because I was like, I want to put them up at night so I can see them, you know? But the problem is, you don't have light till you put them up. And so, okay. So that was me last night, trying to put my lights up in pitch black dark. Um, and the second I plugged in that first little tiny bulb, all of a sudden, my hope came alive, right? Now, this is the good news of who God is. This is constantly, by the way, this is the theme of history. Whether or not you believe it or feel it today, can I tell you, this is the theme of your life. You have a God who is a God of hope. And despite how dark things even were in that first case of sin in the Garden of Eden, what's, what's amazing is even then we see God give a little glimmer of hope and tell man, listen, there's going to be enmity between you and this serpent, but there's coming, there's coming a child, there's coming a man who's going to crush his head. There was a promise of hope even there. And, and you see this as a theme all throughout the Old Testament, that despite the separation that man has caused, his relationship with God, his relationship with one another, the relationship with him and even this world, there's constantly these little glimmers of light that show up in the dark story. 
Uh, one of my favorites is such a, a familiar one to Christmas, and it's in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, where at that time, you could say that uh, things had gotten dark. Uh, the nation had fully turned away from their God, I, uh, and at that time, they, they were searching after everything other than turning to him, and most of their hope was in the political system, but the problem with the political system is it was run by man, and man is also facing the same problem that those under them uh, in, in politics. Man under them also have, they have the same problem. It's still sin. And so I know that's hard to imagine a time like that, right? But um, in that day, that's how it was. And so they were seeking after every and any other kind of option other than God. It was a dark time. But there's this great glimmer of hope that God gives in Isaiah 9. I want you to listen to this. And I love this translation from the Living Bible. It says, nevertheless, the time of darkness, God says this. This is how it is. But, but God gives a prophet Isaiah. And prophets in Israel's time were the mouthpieces through which God would speak to his people. He would put his words in their mouth and they would speak on behalf of God. And in the time of such darkness, there's like this little light that shows up with Isaiah. God gives Isaiah the, the ability to have this vantage point to see beyond. That's, what, by the way, what hope is. The ability to see beyond the darkness and see the light at the end of the tunnel. Do you know what I mean? So here's Isaiah. He sees the light and he says, Though there's a time of darkness, this time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Isaiah 9.1. He says, In the future, these very lands, Zebulun and Naphtali, will be filled with glory. Listen to this. The people who walk in darkness, humanity, will see a great light. A light that will shine on all those who live in the land of the shadow of death. This incredible promise. God says, for God will break the chains that bind his people and the whip that scourges him. In that glorious day of peace, there will be no longer will be the issue of battling gear, no more bloodstained uniforms of war. All such will be burned. And then he goes on to say this. For unto us, a son is born. There's a light coming. There's a, a child given, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. By the way, do you see the Trinity in this? A son will be born, and his name will be called Everlasting Father. Interesting, I don't remember Jesus becoming a father and having any children. No, certainly this is God the Father, God the Son, all in one as God himself and this God, it says this, that of his increase in his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And this, by the way, becomes Israel's hope. That, that though we're stuck in darkness and we're stuck in the same patterns and we're stuck separate from God, there's a light at the end of the tunnel that God is going to solve the problem we got ourselves into. And this is humongous to see this. The, the way that the language says is that there's a light dawning on a dark earth. The picture is that like of a sun. The sun dawning from the outside. The sun dawning upon the situation. And this is paramount to understand hope this way. Listen, we will never find hope if we're constantly looking within ourselves for the light. Tr trying to find our way out of our situation. Trying to work my way to God. Trying to, trying, it's, listen, it's like being... Lost in the middle of the ocean, drowning and thinking that you can save yourself by, you know, looking up some swimming lessons real quick. No, the waves are crashing all around you. You have no power in and of yourselves to overcome the obstacles that are ahead of you. The only way that we could be saved from this hopelessness is if there was some kind of divine intervention. If there was a coast guard, a rescuer outside of me, if, if a dawning light could come from the outside over my 
darkness. There is no, listen, there is no solution of man that can solve the problem of man. There is no politician that can solve the problem of man. If we want to see our country healed, if we want to see our lives restored, it's going to come from something outside of us. It's going to come from people saying, God, you're the God of hope. And that's what God gives Israel. Trust me, I'm promising to you, despite the darkness, the light is coming. And then you have hundreds of years of darkness. So what's interesting about hope in the Bible when it comes to Jesus, some hope like transcends even like timelines. So that people could hope in what God was going to do and then even actually die in their lifetime and not see it. Isn't that interesting? but still have hope. The Bible says this about Abraham, right? Abraham died even before seeing God fulfill his promise, but that's okay. God is still God. Hope is still going to come. Hope did come. In John chapter 1, as John is describing the incarnation, Christmas, John is describing his friend Jesus, who was also God. And he's describing how he was the word made flesh. He was God in the beginning with God, creating everything and coming into the world. And what John says about him intentionally is that he was the light coming into the world. That that wasn't just like, hey, this would be a cool metaphor. Okay, John was drawing back on the Hebrew prophets. John was saying that Jesus, the one who is coming into this world, is the light that God has promised. And you see this with a great interaction in Luke 2 with a guy named Simeon. You guys remember Simeon in the Bible? An understudied, undervalued homie that I love, okay? Simeon's my homie. And we we see with Simeon a guy who the Bible tells him, uh, the Bible tells us that the Spirit revealed to Simeon that he was actually going to see the comfort of Israel, the light of Israel, even before he died, just a really cool, wouldn't that be cool if God said that to you? If like you were a Jew, a part of a heritage of waiting for this hope for all these years, for the Messiah to come and make things right, what man has made wrong. And imagine if the Holy Spirit reveals to you, guess what? You know your heritage of waiting and not seeing anything, your people? I am going to allow you to behold hope. And there's a great interaction in Luke 2 of the Spirit even leading by the Spirit, leading Simeon to go behold Jesus. And one of the things, of the many things that Simeon has to say about Jesus is he says, this is the light we've been looking for. This is the light in our darkness. Jesus, the hope. Jesus, the light. And let's fast forward even to Jesus' own life. Everywhere that Jesus went in his life, listen, he was going to bring hope. Read the Bible. You know what the Bible is? A story about Jesus and hope. He, everywhere he went, bringing hope to the helpless and help to the hopeless. Everywhere. Oh, how long have you been blind? Here's hope. How long has it been since someone showed you that they love you and value you? Here's hope. Oh, your brother Lazarus is dead? Even death, I'll defeat. Jesus, everywhere he went, bringing hope. And Jesus said this about him. I love this. Um, a great case of this hope is when there's a woman caught in adultery by a bunch of scumbags. And... It says that in the Greek, scumbagius in the Greek. Um, and they bring this, this woman and they throw her before Jesus. As a, you know, they didn't value her. She was just an example. They just threw her on the ground in her, in her shame. And, and they said, um, Jesus, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. And you know what the law says. And this woman knew what the law said. And so she found herself there just ready to be condemned. You ever found yourself there? 
You know what God's word says. You know the law. You know what's true, but you're hopeless. Because there you are before Jesus and you're just guilty. And you're stuck and you're ashamed. And it's to this woman in front of this crowd that Jesus, instead of extending judgment, he extends tremendous grace, tremendous forgiveness. He shows this woman, listen, it's not going to be in your ability to be good that's going to save you. It's going to be in my tremendous love. That's going to change you. Go and sin no more. Now, following this statement that Jesus makes to this woman, Jesus says this. He says, I am the light of the world. You see this? I'm the hope. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That looks like a life of hope, doesn't it? Found in Jesus, provided for and by Jesus. The good news of the gospel. Now, the best news of all is, you see, what we really need from Jesus is not just to fix our, our bad sin patterns, to fix our, our situations. Like, those are all temporary. And at the end of the day, no matter how much physical healing you get, like, we're all going to die. The big issue that we're facing is death, which is the result of our sin. And, and the Bible teaches that, that the, the, the hopelessness of death is not just that we die physically, but apart from Jesus, we're separated from him spiritually. And so our destiny after death is to be separated from him eternally. And that's the darkness that we all really find ourselves in. And so Jesus, he came to earth not just to do a bunch of good things. And this is where it's like if people love to study the life of Jesus because he did all these great things. But all of the great things, all the great hope that Jesus offered meant to serve as a precursor to the greatest event of hope that was going to be presented. This Jesus, who was so filled with hope and so, so forceful with hope everywhere he went, he himself would go to a cross and he would experience hopelessness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about this. You see, on the cross, Jesus absorbed your and my hopelessness so that through his sacrifice, we could never doubt that we have hope. Never. It's interesting too, because you know, when Jesus died, Matthew's gospel tells us that what happened to the sky it went dark, right? So think about that. The light of the world took on darkness so that we who were in darkness could have the light of the world. Peter tells it so beautifully. He, said, uh, he tells us this in 1 Peter 2, that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim, rejoice, proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness, who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This light became darkness so that we who are in darkness could be brought into such tremendous light. Anybody thankful this morning for the hope that's in Jesus? That's a nice golf clap. Anybody thankful this morning for the hope that's in Jesus? To rejoice in the hope. That's what Paul says. And sometimes it's a decision of the will. Sometimes it's like, I got to do more than golf clap right now. I got to think about this. I got to meditate on this. We got to stop here at Christmas and really sit under the weight of what God has done. He did for me what I could never do for myself. So, so I love that Peter says it this way, through the resurrection of Jesus. That's an awesome... Uh, Beautiful mountain. Check us out. 
this is even more beautiful. Look at this verse, okay? 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, I love this, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. As alive as Jesus. And Jesus, let me tell you, is alive. <laughs> He's alive and well. He's ruling and reigning at the right hand of his Father. And nothing can snatch the hope we have from his hand. Do you know what it's like to have that kind of hope? The hope. Uh, uh, Paul tells Titus, he talks about the hope of eternal life. In Colossians, he says, it's the hope laid up for us in heaven. I love that. Like, no one can touch it. It's not locked away at Boca Storage or, you know, what, what is the other, you know, public storage unit where, where I've had moths get in that thing, man. Oh, my gosh, okay. None of that. The hope we have is so secure because it's in the palm of Jesus' hand. Amen? The hope of Jesus. That's what he's telling us. But notice this next thing. This is huge. He goes on to say that when we behold the hope of Jesus, this is important. It must be that we don't just see the hope through Jesus as something provided for us. See, we just did that, and that's good. But what God is most concerned with is that you also see his hope as something that's meant to be produced in us. This is huge. Because you could sit here all day long and say, I know what Jesus has done for me and still feel hopeless. So, so he talks about how hope is not just provided in our lives, but notice this. He talks about how it's also produced in our lives. God wants to produce the hope he's provided for us in us. He says that we also glory not just in the hope he's given us, but because of the hope he's given us, check this out, we also glory in the horrible things we go through in life. It's like, what? Paul? Backspace, bro. You messed up, you know? No. We don't just rejoice in the hope that's laid up for us in heaven through Jesus being the light for us, bringing us to the light, giving us an eternal hope of forgiveness of sins, God being for me, with me, coming even to me. But we also rejoice in the things that we go through because the things that we go through serve, listen, not against what God's doing in my life, but they serve the purposes of God in my life. It's important to think of our trials this way. This thing's coming against my hope. No, it's producing your hope. He, he says it this way. He says, we go through tribulations, but those tribulations produce perseverance. The perseverance produces character, and the character produces hope. You see this? Hope not just as the product of what Jesus has done for me in the past, but hope as the product of what Jesus has done in me in the present. Uh, this is so important. I think Paul... Um, just finds himself echoing this point like over and over again. And, and sometimes you'll come to Solus and I feel like you might hear me say the same thing like five different ways, but the same thing over and over again. And that's okay. It's okay for us, Paul says, to hear things that are tedious. It's not, it's not that it's, it's just repetitive, it's that it's useful. It's rhythmic, it's healthy to be meditating on these things. And so Paul finds himself repeating this message over and over again. I love Romans 15, 13. Look at this. Look at this kind of experience with hope. It's not just intellectual, it's, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope, abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not the same thing as the power of knowledge. The power of theology, the power of articulating the gospel in such a way that you sound like you could write an article for the Gospel Coalition, you know? This is not, this is not the power of intuition. This is not the power of, of figuring it out. He says, this is different from just being able to go, this is what God did for me. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit, God himself, so active and living in my relationship with God that the Holy Spirit is producing in me what God has done for me. I'm abounding. This is beautiful. So much so that I abound in hope by the Holy Spirit. Now, as we talk about this kind of hope being produced in us, I think it's really important that we distinguish what we're talking about. Uh, we have this hope provided for us through Jesus. But, but the word hope, as I said, it's a very versatile word that can mean all sorts of different things. I mean, come on. We, we can't imagine that, like, the hope for good weather is the same thing as the hope of Jesus. Yet we describe hope that way. Um, let me talk real quick about the biblical word for hope. This word that we see in Romans 5, this, this hope that he goes on to say doesn't disappoint, this hope that's produced through trial, this hope that the Spirit wants to produce in our hearts and abound in us, this hope, uh, the Greek word, it has to do with these, let's just give you these four words. It has to do with confidence, it has to do with certainty, it has to do with expectancy, it has to do with anticipation. Now, now think about your relationship with God and ask yourself, in your life, when it comes to what you expect from God, how's your hope? When it comes to what you're certain about God, how's your hope? When it comes to what you're anticipating, listen, in your life. Like when you sin, let's ask yourself this question. When you sin, do you anticipate a God of love? How's your hope? When you walk through tribulation, do you anticipate a God who's working all things together for the good? You see, this is hope. What are you hoping for? Uh, expectancy, certainty, confidence. Some have called it conf a confident expectation. It, it, it's, it's awaiting it with certainty. Now, the reason why this is important to describe, this is what, by the way, God wants to produce in our hearts by his spirit. It's different than the way that we think about hope in our culture. I want to give you two um, contrasts to biblical hope. Okay? Uh, the first thing I want to say is that biblical hope is not wishfulness. Wishbone turkiness, okay? Anybody do the wishbone, by the way? You're like, no, we're Christians. We <laughs> don't do that pagan stuff. It's like, all right. But, yeah, I did it, all right. Um, all right. It's not wishfulness. In our culture, when we use the word hope, we, we, we use it in the sense of like um, uh, wishful thinking. Like I, I, we might as well say, I wish this happens. You know, imagine that with God. I wish God loved me. I'm being wishful. Coin flip, does God love me? Coin flip, is God for me? Coin flip, am I going to spend eternity with him? Is that biblical hope? Nope. I wish, I wish, I hope, I hope. I found myself saying that yesterday. I hope my Christmas tree doesn't die before Christmas. Biblical hope is not wishfulness. It's not a 50-50, let's see what happens. I also want to say, though, not only is it certain and not wishful, but I want to say that it's, it's different also from optimism. This is really important, too. Biblical hope is not wishfulness, right? It's certain. It's confident. But it's not optimism. This is often what I think we get confused. I even hear this in the church today. It's like, you just need to be more optimistic. Like, like if you're optimistic, then your situation will turn out the way that you want it to. And the problem with that is the Bible, And life and reality. And what Paul just said, sometimes it's your problem that God wants to use, listen, to produce hope in you in a way that optimism can never get you through life. You know what I mean? So, so optimism, this is really big in this culture, especially with like social media marketers. It's like people, by the way, because people are longing for hope because it's what we talked about earlier. It's a need of the human heart. It's amazing what people will shell out for hope. They'll go to these conferences with these optimistic speakers to become the best you and 
Just be optimistic. Think positive thoughts, man. Affirmation. Okay? And no wonder these guys are so positive and, and uh, optimistic. Because they're making a lot of money of selling you optimism. Being your life coach. But listen, okay? Here's why biblical hope is different than optimism. Optimism, listen closely, optimism regards potential outcomes. We'll even say this, possible or probable outcomes. So like, which I think is good sometimes, because like, I think that we should be some, like, realistic. Like, no matter how much optimism I have, I'm never going to play in the NBA. Like, I feel pretty good when I'm playing at home, and I'm like crossing my son over, and he's six. But <laughs> So there's a, good, there's a good side of optimism, you know, because it's like, uh, maybe realism would help you a little bit, you know. But, 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 but listen... The issue with optimism is it's, it's fully regarding the potential of outcomes. That's what, that's, by the way, today, potential sells, doesn't it? Your potential. What potential? And it's all centered on you. Okay. Versus Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a whole other sermon, right? But You see, biblical hope is different than optimism. Optimism regards potential outcomes. Listen to this. Biblical hope finds its confidence and its certainty in a person. which may be why you're hopeless this morning. Maybe your hope has shifted away from a person. The only person who's worthy of your certainty. The only person who's worthy of your confidence and your anticipation and your expectation. This, this was so big in the life of David. David would find himself in some of the worst trials, right? And it seemed like the farthest thing from his reality was God's promises. You ever been there? And so David would find himself from time to time. I mean, if Paul was around in his day, he'd be reading Paul and going, hope does not disappoint. He'd probably look at Paul like, well, have you lived my life? I guess you haven't. And usually what you find in the Psalms is David being honest about his disappointment. Do you know, by the way, that you can be honest about your disappointment with God? When you feel hopeless, you can bring that to him. Like right now, if you're like, I'm not really confident in God, God wants to hear you tell him that. And David would find himself bringing that before God. And and he would, I love this, David would have these, when I read the Psalms, I'm comforted to know that I'm not the only weird one in life, you know? Like me and David got a thing going. We're both a mess. We're both inconsistent. And God is always faithful. It's like, it's good to know that. Um, and we see this, I love this great conversation in Psalm 42 where David says, why are you cast down, oh my soul, oh my soul? Uh, he's talking to his soul, by the way. Like, hey soul, how you doing? Oh, I'm good, I'm a soul, how are you? you know? Why are you disquieted within me? Look at, look at this. Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his confidence. He's preaching a sermon to himself. Soul, how's it going? Um, I'm actually having a hard time. What's wrong? I'm just really disappointed really struggling with hope, hope in God. And then the next day, you don't need to tell yourself, hope in God. Then when you're disappointed again, you don't need to tell yourself, hope in God. Expect God. Be certain for God. The prophets, God promised he would send a light. They didn't see the light. You know what they did? They hoped in God. Because biblical hope is not optimism. Biblical hope is dependent upon God. And this is the next thing that, that, that 
Paul closes with by saying, he says, he describes a hope that I want you to see this, a hope promised to us. We got to behold this hope. It's provided for us. God wants to produce it in us. But, but, but the undergirding support of that hope being produced in us is the nature of what God has promised to us. God promises us. Here in, in Romans 5.5, 5, Paul says, as you go through these trials, what's going to happen is your hope's going to be tested. You're going to go through tribulation. And, and though you might think like your trial, your your your. The quietness of your soul, your discouragement and despair, though you might think it's working against your hope, it's actually an opportunity to find hope like you've never found before. As you persevere, he says. Let tribulation produce perseverance. In Romans 8, what he'll say is that, listen, hope that is seen is not even hope. That's not hope. That's the fulfillment. But if we... Hope for what we don't see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. He talks about how hope is produced as we persevere. And we shift our attention to what we're really trusting in. What we really ought to trust in, it's God himself. And he promises us this, that this hope that God wants to produce in my hardship, it will never disappoint you. Because God never disappoints. That's biblical hope. It's rooted in that. Who God is. It's, let, me, let me expound on this a little bit more about this, this hope that never disappoints, that, that David says, I got a hope in this. It's based on God's character. Understand that. The hope you have in Jesus, the reason why you can be certain regarding it is because God himself is good. His character. I like, even uh, Titus says this, that, that it, God who cannot lie has made us promises. His character. He, he's only a truth teller. So if God has spoken it to you, despite what you see, despite the changing nature of circumstances, God doesn't ever change. He's only always good. So you can hope in him. Well, what about God's capability? See, that's what makes optimism go out the window and positive thinking. Because what, what, what happens when you are faced with a scenario in life that contradicts everything that God could ever do? I mean, this is Mary, right? Hey, you're going to give birth to a son. Call his name Jesus. He's going to be the Messiah. She's like, well, there's one problem. You know, like, I'm not married yet. Um, and I'm trying to do that right. And so how, how is that possible? Because the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. And, and listen, what's impossible with man will be made possible with God because nothing's impossible with God. That's hope. His ability. This is the same situation happens with Abraham and Sarah, right? When Abraham trusts that God was going to fulfill his promise to Sarah, it was the other extreme. Like, like Mary was like down here, like too young. There's biology going on there. But there's also biology with Sarah, who is barren. How, how am I going to have a kid? I know you promised me that, but it doesn't match reality. But when your hope is in God's capability, not in your circumstances, the Bible tells us that Abraham, contrary to hope... He had hope in God. Isn't that interesting? In other words, against all odds, Abraham hoped in God. Against all reason not to, Abraham hoped in God. And here's the last thing about God's promise to us and his hope. It's God's consistency. It's what Christ has done. And so David's able, I think, to look at his soul and say, hope in God. Because David David is able to look back at God's faithfulness in the past, which is huge. Like some of the greatest um, support for your hope for the future is only going to be found by you looking back and going, God, you, you've done it. And though I don't see it right now, 
I remember that time in my life where my relationship with you was thriving. And so my hope for the future depends on the fact that you never change and you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you did it for me then, you'll do it for me now. You'll do it for me tomorrow, whenever you want, God. My hope is in you. This is the hope that Jesus has come to give us. Just review with this. A hope provided for us through, his, uh, through God's son, Jesus. A hope produced in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, produced in us often through trials as we're forced to persevere and really check on what am I hoping in. David had to tell himself, hope in God. Not the circumstance, not in this outcome, hope in God. My hope and expectation is from him. At the end of the day, it's all supported by the hope that is promised to us. It's a hope that's based on God's character. It's based on his capability. It's based on his consistency. So because of this hope, here's what we could say this morning. David says this. He says, you know, I would have lost heart. Many times in my life I had reasons to lose heart and lose hope. He says, unless I had something outside of me to hope in. Unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And maybe this is simply what we need to leave with today, this Christmas season. Wherever your hope is at, as you look at your heart. Maybe you today go, you know, there's a lot of reasons why I should and could lose heart this morning. Or I have lost heart. But what we do today is we check, have we lost sight? seeing who God is and what he can do. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out soulschurch.com.